you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. and welcome to the retail transformation show this one is episode 99 and i am oliver banks your host and your partner for delivering successful retail transformation programs now you probably know that retail technology often seems to go hand in hand with retail transformation either as an enabler or as an essential element to making the change actually happen But let's be honest, it's very easy to get absorbed by the cool opportunities from sort of fancy retail tech, gadgets and gizmos. So in this episode, I want to explore that pitfall. Often we call it tech for tech's sake. And to do that with us, I've got a retail technology enthusiast in Michael Grange here to join us and to share his wisdom. If you don't know Michael, he's been a CIO, a COO, and a technology director at a number of different companies. And he's experienced in retail, in e-commerce, in supply chain, and in logistics. As you might expect, his career has been rooted in technology, and he's developed products for global markets and business transformation across many, many different countries, the UK, EMEA, India, and the US in particular. And he's worked with both startups and also massive businesses. Michael and I were actually at Tesco together. We worked on a few different projects and programs, actually, when we were both there. So that's how we originally met. And we've worked together several times since then as well, which has been brilliant. In fact, you may remember Michael from the second Retail Transformation Live, where he was in the panel looking at incremental versus fundamental transformation. A really great discussion there. So Michael, like me, is a real advocate of lean and agile practices, and he's got a passion for delivering great customer experiences and focusing in on the value. He's now the founder and CEO of Parker Vise, where he mentors and coaches startup businesses and also offers virtual CIO services for businesses looking to scale up. In the UK, he works very closely and is affiliated with the University of Cambridge Judge Business School and in the US through the Centre for Advancing Innovation. He's a self-proclaimed technology geek, but he likes to keep it simple too and focused in on the business, which I always really like as well. If you want to get in touch with Michael, then check out the show notes today at obandco.uk slash 99. That's obandco.uk slash 99. And here is my conversation with Michael Grange. Here we go. So I'm really glad to welcome Michael Grange to the show. Michael, how are things? Hi there, Ollie. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. It's fantastic to have you on. Welcome back as well. You were on way back in episode 14. Goodness. So it's fantastic to have you back on the show. And we're going to be diving a lot deeper than we did back then, where, of course, we were looking what seemed like a million years ago what retail held for 2019. So things have moved on a little bit, haven't they? Yes, indeed. Yes, not that much, but a little bit. (laughs) Anyway, today um, we're going to be looking in at one of those big statements that you hear an awful lot around retail, and that is around 
the use of tech for tech's sake. Having these sort of whizzy, fancy gadgets, shall we say, or gizmos or, you know, fancy ideas and putting them in when perhaps they don't fit. So I'm really keen to dive into this with you, Michael, as a real retail tech expert. Sure. But I suppose let's just start off by getting everyone on the same page. What does tech for tech's sake, what does that statement mean to you? To me, it's really where a company, let's say a retailer in this case, has come up with a great idea. I say great in quotes, and uh, it involves technology at the center of it. It may may also involve people and process around the outside, but technology at the center. And they go great guns, pushing ahead with the huge investment into developing this solution, probably integration with surrounding systems to really make it work with the, the data of the of the retailer. And then they go and put it in place. And then it turns out, frankly, to be a complete waste of time and money. And uh, and sadly, I think for the consumers, they get to experience it. Those that, those that see it uh, will get to experience it. And it will probably leave them with a slightly deflated feeling about what the retailer is doing with their hard-earned cash. Mm. That's interesting as well, isn't it? What the customer perception is of something that feels, shall we say, high-tech and slightly irrelevant, perhaps. Yeah, especially when you think why the consumers are there in the beginning. You know, often they'll be looking to either buy uh, more clothing or they've gone to get their groceries or, or whatever else. I mean, there's lots of, mm. lots of different things you can buy at retailers these days. And once they've made that investment to go to the store um, and not shop online, if they start to experience uh, technology that does seem rather out of place and, and really misaligned to customer expectations, then yes, there's, there's no doubt they're going to feel that the, there's been a bit of a waste of effort there. Yeah, it's a really good point. I hadn't actually considered that myself. I can certainly think of one retailer that I went to, and it wasn't a great shopping trip, to be honest with you, (laughs) but they were very keen to promote all of their new technology. And I did feel... As a customer, like, come on now, <laughs> that's not the problem. Exactly. This is the problem. It's all the basics. <laughs> exactly. And that's it, right? That's, I think, really where the customers come into play when, and their point of view matters so much because they do know what the problems are. They'll know that it's about perhaps lack of availability of products, you know, maybe in the right sizes or the right colors. They'll know that perhaps the store needs a good clean. Uh, perhaps it's uh, lacking the right number of people to man the tills. All those things are the problems that consumers spot. And what they're not thinking is, if only there was some way in which I could, in which I could superimpose that dress onto my body right now. You know, that's not front and center of a consumer's mind. Yet this is the type of thing, and I'm talking about augmented reality here, this is the type of technology you've got to wonder whether it's a good idea. Mm, it's an interesting one because... What we're talking about is almost the very basics versus innovation and pushing the envelope, so to speak. Yeah. How should retailers balance that? Is Should they go after innovation? Should they only go after innovation once everything is working like clockwork? What are your thoughts? I, it definitely has to be balanced. That's got to be the key thing here. And look, I've just dissed augmented reality, right? But it's, it's, I think we need that sort of innovation to happen in retail. And there are so many examples. I've, I've uh, done a bit of research before recording this today. And uh, my goodness, the list is huge. We probably won't cover them all off today. But why don't we, why don't we maybe look at a few that came out in, uh, in the research? Definitely. Let's do that. And then start to explore. So, I mean, actually, augmented reality, whilst I, I dissed the idea of using it for clothing shopping, 
there's no question that there is some benefit there or some some possible benefit in that. I can see that from a customer experience perspective, having augmented reality for clothing can be quite a cool idea, especially perhaps for the younger generations. Mm. But really where we've seen it um, playing a big part is in furniture shopping. Mm. And IKEA in particular have used it as a uh, as a way of being able to superimpose ikea furniture into into your home into your setting um where you want to position it and so in that case i can see it makes a tremendous sense i i can see a real purpose for it there mm. also uh tilly's in the us which is a uh, very much a teen store for sportswear They've used it to increase footfall into their stores as a way of just attracting customers into the store. It actually had nothing to do, the augmented reality there had absolutely nothing to do with their products. It was just just something interesting that was quite eye-catching. And uh, and having it displayed on the shop front window was a great way of uh, increasing footfall into the stores. That's an interesting one. Can we just explore that one? Yeah. Why, when it has nothing to do with it, why... Do you feel that worked? What was the logic behind actually the success of it when, yeah, on paper, it looks completely disconnected? I think what's quite unique about that example is that it didn't attempt to do anything at all with the existing retailer. Okay, all it was doing was superimposing this digital image into the store. And so in that case, the investment level is extremely low in order to have something that is very headline grabbing. And I think that's where innovation works really, really well in retailers, where you can keep your level of investment uh, really low, but have some sort of big impact. And that's why it worked. Yep. That sounds great, doesn't it? Low investment, big impact. Yes, absolutely. And I know that's the thing that we strive for all the time in retail technology solutions. And it's not so easy to do. But when you, <laughs> when you, when you look at some of those other solutions, I'm going to pick on AR in clothing again as, as an example here. But when you look at AR for clothing, it requires a lot of investment. And I'm not sure that that investment is, um, is, is particularly well spent in that area. Mm, by the time you're taking into account body shape and, and yeah. everything like that to make it feel realistic as opposed to exactly here's a sofa, it's the same dimensions, whatever. Yes, that's right. So I think AR lends itself very well to certain circumstances and not so well to others. Mm. And I think that's, yeah, that's, that's just one example. Another one actually we should pick up on is, is Google Glass. I mean, you'll remember uh, a few years ago now when Google came out with those glasses mm. and it was a, uh, I mean, it was a fantastic concept, wasn't it? I mean, didn't you want, didn't you want a pair of those or was it just me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I probably wasn't going to be one of the top innovators there. I thought no. I'd have probably been, uh, what's the phrase, early adopters or whatever. Yeah. But not right at the cutting edge. For the right price point, I would have loved them. I have no idea what I would have done yes. with them, but, uh, <laughs> but I love the idea. And you know what? In store, I just don't think that there's been a great application of Google Glass. Mm. Where it's really become a favorite is in logistics, of course. The fact that you can use that technology to assist the picking process and also eliminate problems to and errors. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic bit of technology for that. And I know that you know there's been similar applications of that uh, of that approach, not the same technology itself as that Google developed, but they've applied similar approach to various picking solutions now in logistics. And whilst that's sort of one of the things that sits behind the scenes, uh, from a, certainly from a consumer perspective, it does make a difference to the overall experience mm. for consumers because they have less errors, orders can be picked more quickly, more efficiently. Therefore, there could ultimately be a lower cost to delivery. 
And if it's, if it's you know, in one of these kind of free delivery retailers still, then that cost is going to be lower uh, in terms of what's passed on to the product price. So I think that's really paid dividends. And uh, I'd love to see more applications for it. And there's still lots of talk online if you, if you go and do some research on this. Mm. Lots of talk online still about how uh, maybe not the Google Glass solution itself, but I- images will be projected to the inside of glasses that are worn by, uh, by those people working in retail. But the reality is I think that's a very, very long way off. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Do you think Google Glass, obviously, it's no longer a functioning product in the, or certainly in the outside external world. Who knows what's going on behind uh, Google's closed doors? Mm-hmm. Was that lack of application, that real lack of use case, was that actually tech for tech's sake right at the very heart of it in as much as here's something cool we can do and we can package it into this fancy looking you know, product? Yeah. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> the short answer is no. And the reason is because Google is a very, very different player when it comes to that type of innovation. Mm. If this solution had come from a retailer, then I'd say, my goodness, what a monumental waste of cash that was. But the (laughs) fact that it's come from a technology company means that they have the scope to be able to play with ideas like that. And, you know, we've only talked about retail here. My goodness, there are podcasts that are going out right now talking about the application of that technology in many, many other sectors. And, uh, and you know, we are just thinking about one here. So Yes, of course. Um, yeah, if it had been a retailer, my word, terrible idea. But for a technology company um, that actually is looking to appeal to a range of sectors, I think it was a fantastic piece of innovation. And I really mm. hope that we continue to see more of that type of thing coming out of companies like Google. I mean, there are lots of others that are playing in that field too. Um, Apple, not least, in my opinion, they do tend to be slightly behind the curve on these things. But what they do ultimately come out with does look and work great. Um, Very highly polished. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, very highly polished. Just tends to be a bit later than everyone else. And of course, Amazon are taking great strides into technology. When I say Amazon, we all think about the online store. But of course, there's so much more going on in Amazon uh, behind closed doors that, Mm. uh, that just makes them a multifaceted beast. Yes, definitely. And it's uh, interesting, it sort of it harks back to that challenge, are you a retail company or are you a tech company? Because the two are very different um, and you can't just swap between them. Like you say, it's a different mindset, a different approach to getting a lot of these things out if you are Google versus if you are you know, a classic retailer. Yes, yeah, so I think the key thing here is that you've got to work out as a, as a retailer what you're looking to achieve. Are you looking to be a retailer or are you looking to be a retailer plus something else? Mm. If you look at Amazon, actually, they, they're providing lots of different types of services to different sectors. Mm. And depending on which lens you look through, you see something different. In some cases, you could argue that they are a bit of a monopoly in terms of online marketplaces, although obviously there's lots of competition with eBay. But on the other side, there are also other services that Amazon provides in their, um, so for example, their Amazon Web Services are providing a platform on which retailers and lots of other businesses too can commission their technology in the cloud in a very scalable and, and cost-effective way. But of course, they're by no means a monopoly in that area, although they are gaining great ground. Um, they're not a monopoly. So when you look at retailers and when retailers look at themselves, they do have to think about what lens they're looking at themselves through. Are they looking to just be a pure play retailer and is that just in bricks and mortar are they going to have an online presence or are they going to offer something else too to the wider sector that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense 
let's explore some other different technologies. There's obviously, you know, we could just talk for hours and hours about lots of different technologies in the retail space, but let's, let's yes. touch on a few of the more interesting ones from the research. Yeah, let's have a look. So face recognition was one that, uh, that I find particularly interesting in. And because I was uh, advising a, a retail tech business some years ago uh, based in London called uh, Sensing Feeling, but, you know, the applications of face recognition aren't just around customer mood, which is what uh, Sensing Feeling was looking at uh, back then. It's now migrated into other areas like security. So companies like Face First and Lux Riot are doing quite a lot of work in and around the security space. You can see how for a certainly a national retailer, mm. if they um, can spot a shoplifter, uh, carrying out their business, so to speak, in one store, um, it would be very easy for them to share that face recognition data with all the other stores around the country. And so very quickly then when that uh, perpetrator enters one of the other stores, um, they, can be, uh, they can be brought to the attention of the security team straight away. So face recognition started in one area has now migrated into another uh, much more, I would say, applicable area. But I still think it's a great untapped technology. And I think we will start to see a much broader use of face recognition in the areas of trying to offer more personalized um, customer experience in store. Mm. That might be I think technology and people, so technology and the employees in store, um, having to work together. But I think that's where we're really going to start to see it play. I mean, obviously, it, you could say that face recognition could be used by robots. So um, you may have heard of Pepper, mm. which uh, is just one of the robots in use in London at the moment in the UK. But I know it's, it's being used um, around the world in several applications. And you can see how a robot could use face recognition as a means of providing a much more personalized experience, especially from something, in this case of robot technology, that you would expect to be quite impersonal. You'd expect it not to read the human customer uh, quite as well as another human would. Mm. And so in that case, being able to offer something else, another, you know, another facet to that technology using face recognition, I think would be a great way of improving the customer experience in store, especially if those robots start to become more and more used in a customer service role. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. And actually, when you start to think about that sort of technology, you start to think about lots of different opportunities, how you could actually blend that in with different clienteling solutions and CRMs, yes. et cetera, to be able to really serve customers on that sort of one-to-one -one basis, but also yes. you know, nationwide as well, instantly recognizing and serving. and Absolutely. And, and don't forget, you know, there are lots of robots that have been used in retail right now. And IBM, Microsoft have developed robots that will help with store replenishment. It's, it's very much a sort of a single use case there. And I think that what we'll start to see as the years go on is a multi-function robots, for want of a better term, those that mm. can provide customer service and, and have that sort of, in quotes, friendly appearance to them, whilst at the same time, when they're not busy, um, serving customers and this really enables you to get the return on investment of this type of technology they're carrying out other functions too like scanning the shelves for replenishment need areas mm. and maybe also checking barcodes uh, where you've got say date, date embedded barcodes they could maybe be checking that perhaps the robot itself has got some iot sensors so internet of things like um, rfid type technology built in so that they could scan rfid tags 
you know, maybe they could find, for example, in a clothing department where there's been some mismerchandising or where where a customer has put something back that shouldn't be there um, in that location needs to be relocated. You can see there's all sorts of things that could be built into these robots. And I think making them multifunction would truly start to increase their value, increase their worth. And so with something like that, again, whilst I wouldn't want to see a retailer invest lots of time and effort in developing a multifunction robot, I think they 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 absolutely should be fueling the the spirit, these innovation spirit of these big technology companies mm. to develop this technology for retail. Because there's no question that these technology companies, just like Google, as we spoke about earlier, did with the Google Glass, these technology companies can take this technology and use it in many, many different sectors around the world. And, and that's really where they're going to make their money back. So I do think that retail has a part to play here in fueling the ideas, fueling the, the kind of creative juices of the technology companies to help them come up with technology that will help not only the retail employees, but also the customers too. That's a really good idea, almost providing those use cases so that the tech real tech companies can go to town on that and solve that problem and bring back a solution for the market that solves a particular problem. Yes. It's interesting though, when you were just describing that, you know, it could do this, it could do that. How do you stay focused? Because it's very easy. As we just did, you can start to think about, we could do these million different tasks, Yeah. but just because we could, does it mean that we should? I think this is where the difference comes in if you've got an if a retailer has their own in-house innovation team. I think mm. yes, staying focused in that sort of environment is absolutely key. And it's key because the budget will just get soaked up so quickly by all these great <laughs> great and sometimes yeah. crazy ideas. And uh, and that's where I think that, you know, for retail, yes, if you've got something that you think is going to give you some sort of commercial advantage, you can do it yourself and it's just quicker if you do so then fantastic. Um, Crack on. But as you say, Ollie, stay focused, stay within budget. And if it really looks like it's not going to work, then just stop. You know, just employ all those agile and lean techniques to keep it on track, um, but don't go beyond the scope of what you were setting out to do. Mm. For everything else, personally, I would say, look for an outside uh, technology company that specializes in this kind of thing specializes in innovation for multiple sectors and encourage them, you know, kind of give them the ideas to work on. Um, And of course, you know, in return, I'm sure that there'd be uh, some sort of discounted rate on that technology. But at the end of the day, building those partnerships, I think is going to be absolutely key in business. And, you know, for small and large companies alike, there's got to be this coming together, especially in these really challenging times of a post-pandemic world we've got to work more closely together in partnership to come up with these solutions. I think it's the only way. Mm. So, you know, you'll end up working with a number of different partners, which in turn brings its own uh, challenges around integration, for example, and also uh, just frankly, supplier management as well, and getting all of those different parts working together seamless way. 
Yes, um, but I think that with with integration, you know, technology has come on so far already, and there are there are if you're thinking about sort of systems integration, I think that's what you're is that what you're mm. referencing there. So in terms of systems integration, there are lots of ways in which you can you can crack that nut these days. And I mean, I remember going way way back into the distant past where you know there was the kind of the Microsoft message queue technology, uh, which was a very basic way of of building uh, integration between two systems i can tell you it's come on a really long way since then not just the microsoft solutions i mean there are many many providers out there and uh you know i'm sure many listeners here will have heard of uh, zapier for example Mm -hmm. that personal favorite of mine but there are lots of others out there that that provide the sort of integration now that may not be at the sort of enterprise level that we may need to talk about here um, but it shows you that the development of that integration technology has been done. All mm. you now need to do is find an application of that that's relevant to your business size and scale. There are other, obviously, different integration partners available that do have some of that scale. So I'm thinking about MuleSoft from Salesforce, for example, Absolutely. or Bring as well, which is all about sort of delivery, uh, orchestration and bringing that together. Yes. So, yeah, there's quite a lot of different options out there, I suppose, from an integration perspective. Yes, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. There are there are lots of that, and that's going to be key if we are ever going to deliver um, two particular bugbears that I have about retail technology and innovation. If I can just mention those, so mm. one one is the single customer view uh, that was talked about years ago. I remember doing a, a <laughs> I remember doing a talk. Uh, it was a it was a lunchtime talk um, in uh, in London many many years ago, and uh, I decided to pick the single customer view as my you know my thing of the future uh, in retail and everyone was fascinated by it i, I got lots of questions after uh, after the lunch but you know what it just doesn't seem to have happened it just there's some attempts at it so instagram which is obviously a social media platform is now offering the ability to buy products through that so there's a you know there's a kind of tie in for retail into the social profiles mm-hmm. you've got voice assistants like uh, alexa and the uh, and the google home assistant you can order things online, so they've got a bit of that creeping in. But in terms of bringing together that and producing that single customer view, so for every possible touch point that a customer could have interacted with their retailer, being able to piece all that together into a single view, that just hasn't happened. Um, yet integration is clearly uh, the blocker, I think, in many cases, mm. to enabling that to happen. Um, and maybe there's an appetite thing there too, but I, I still think it would be a hugely valuable piece of work for retailers to uh, to undertake. So that's one. Mm. The other one is omnichannel, which is in a very similar vein to single customer view. Clearly, it has the same challenges of integration, uh, but mm. not just integration of technology. You've also got to integrate the, the the kind of the people and process side of things too, which is probably in some ways more challenging than the than the technology piece for large retailers. Mm. But um, omnichannel just hasn't worked for me, and I'd, I would love to have seen that come off. But I think we're we're just at the point of multi-channel at the moment um, mm. for many of the large retailers, and I'd just like to see that final step being taken. Do you think we'll ever get to a place where we properly be omnichannel? Yes, yes I absolutely do. I, I think we are getting closer all the time. There's no doubt that the Great Recession um, set that back a bit. Um, clearly, the pandemic has had a had a similar impact. But I do think that we are going to get there. But I just think it's going to be slower than we originally thought. Mm. And you know, when when you think about how 
the how technology like mobile technology is starting to embed itself into more and more of our lives every day. I think that's probably going to be where a lot of the focus is going to, in terms of, um, in terms of Omnichannel is going to be. So I think there's going to be a lot more emphasis on mobile and how mobile plays a key part in that, whether it's to do with uh, GPS locationing. So when you're in store or out store when you're at home, but uh, the mobile app that you download from the retailer, and then online payments and kind of so on and so forth. There's so much you'll be able to do with it. Mm. But if you were ever wondering around, you know, the omnichannel piece, how it's all going to tie in with logistics, you've only got to look on app stores these days to see that some of the more progressive um, logistics companies have their own app with notifications. They're building mm. a profile about you already and your ordering habits. That stuff is already happening. So it and has been happening for a while. So you can start to see how the the technology is slotting into place in the different areas where it wasn't before. Mm. And that's now being made available on mobile. And I think there's just the knitting together to do of those systems. And, and I'll tell you where that starts is through partnerships between, mm. in this example, logistics and retailers, those partnerships between them um, getting ever closer and uh, allowing for that data to, in, in the correct way, of course, flow between them um, so that they can provide a better, a much more joined up seamless experience for consumers mm, it's interesting it brings in a whole load of new challenges which we won't dive into today but i can no. see the challenges around you know everyone clamoring for that customer data you've got the retailer you've got the brand you've got obviously the delivery company as we've just spoken about we've got other parties as well that are keen to connect with the customer or the consumer it offers some different challenges going forward doesn't it it does and big data is going to be key along with that predictive analytics but the but the reality is that that big data where you've got the sort of the behemoths of your your Googles, for example, who are and have been collecting data for a very, very long time mm. through their search engine, through their online ads. That's been happening all the time for many, many years. The reality, I think, for retailers is that whilst they do have lots of data, they don't have it all. And in order for them to provide some of these better experiences for consumers, there's got to be some way of you know, connecting the big data that the retailer holds, the big data that the logistics companies hold, um, and so on and so forth, because there, there are multiple, multiple sources here, social media platforms, et cetera. I could, I could go down the list, but there's a, many, many sources. And there's got to be some way of joining that data together to really produce a true omnichannel experience for consumers. Mm, fascinating, fascinating. Just as we come to the end of the conversation, Michael, I've got another couple of questions to ask, but I want to take a slight pivot in the conversation. Sure. As we're thinking about technology and innovation, who in the organization should be owning technology to avoid this sort of tech for tech sake pitfall? That's a really interesting question. And I think that historically, uh, retailers have probably got this wrong, in mm. my opinion, in my humble opinion. So I think that when we think about technology innovation, uh, purely because of the title, we think we've got to put that into the technology division. And mm. I'm not convinced that's actually right. I think that they are one stakeholder in the innovation uh, camp. And I think that what you really need to do uh, when you're thinking about innovation is you've got to bring in those representatives from other divisions, from other parts of the organization that can help to cover their areas. Because look, after all, technology innovation is only useful if you can then put it into the hands of a consumer or mm. into the hands of uh, an employee, yeah, a colleague in, in the stores, for example, or in the, in the warehouses. So 
and the technology team cannot just make that happen. They have to integrate with other parts of the business to ensure that that's being delivered in the right way, in a considerate way, in a legal and proper way. And, and that can only happen if the technology team is working very, very closely with those other with those other departments. So what I would love to see in big retail is the formation of a single innovation team. So forget technology innovation this is the innovation team and within mm. it you have representatives from across the organization that come together with their ideas of course and and you know they are representatives in their own divisions so they can become the the focal point for those divisions if if there's lots of input from um from their colleagues within their division um, they can be the focal point for all those ideas. They bring it to this this central innovation committee or group, however you want to, to form that. Mm-hmm. And that's where the ideas uh, come from. That's where the budget is agreed. And that's where the plan is formed mm. by those innovation teams. That, for me, will enable re- big retail to come out with some very successful innovative ideas. And some of those will be, let's be honest, some of those will just be centered around uh, people. Some of those will just be centered around process. Some of those will just be around technology um, because there's plenty of behind the scenes technology innovation that's going on, of course. Mm. It's, it's not, not everything is in store or is used by kind of more broadly across the organization. So there's lots of innovation that goes on in those separate camps. But Having a central focal point for it all, I think, is a great way of increasing the success of uh, of those innovative ideas. Definitely. I can absolutely see how that would almost defeat that classic IT and the business <laughs> siloed uh, relationship. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely right. That's a really interesting idea, Michael. Thank you so much for, for jumping on the show. One big, important last question. How should people get in touch if they want to continue on this conversation or perhaps they want to scope out what this sort of big cross-functional group could look like and how it could work how can people get in touch sure well of course um, i've got the website so you can go to the parker vs website so parkervis.com also i'm on uh, twitter so you can find me uh, so at md grange on twitter uh, probably the best two ways of getting in touch uh, you'll find me on linkedin as well but i'd stick with probably the website and twitter Super. Thank you so much. And I'll make sure that those links are put on the show notes page. So if you do want to check out Michael or get in touch, then do head over. The show notes page today is obandco.uk slash 99. Michael, this has been a really interesting conversation and I'm sure we could dive in, particularly thinking about all those different examples and looking at technology back of house versus front of house and all that for a long, long, long time. We'll probably have our, our own podcast <laughs> dedicated purely to that. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> but maybe, no, maybe in the next one. <laughs> indeed. But I really appreciate uh, d- diving into all of this and helping dispel the myth of tech for tech's sake and helping guide people through it. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. Super. So that was my conversation there with Michael Grange. I hope you enjoyed it. I found it really fascinating and there were so many different avenues that we could have gone on, particularly talking about all of the different types of retail technology out there. There are, of course, many, many different types. And I think certainly in the media, you often see a lot of the hurrah around customer facing technologies, you know, very sexy, very cool. But let's not forget there are a huge number of technologies going on behind the scenes, hidden but essential to an effective retail operation. Whether it's warehouse management, whether it's robotics, whether it's 
workforce management and employee engagement, scheduling, task management, ERP systems, finance systems, CRM systems, e-commerce backends, lots of different things going on, as I'm sure you know as well. So let's not forget about those. And I think we didn't really get onto it, but it's always important to think about your bang for buck. What is it that you are getting out of the investment in? And it doesn't necessarily need to be a cash value out. Obviously, in this uh, challenging economic climate, cash value is very nice indeed and very well appreciated by the business and the decision-making boards, etc. But there are other benefits as well, of course, to any transformation, actually, whether it's technology enabled or not. So do make sure you keep that bang for buck point in mind. So just before we wrap up today, I've got three episodes from the archives that I think you should go and check out if you enjoyed today's episode. There are 98 other different episodes to go and check out if you are new to the show. So do dive in. There's lots of relevant topics in there. So the three I've got for you today are episode 92, which was which was all about automating your warehouses through robotics. And that featured Mark Messina and Simon Houghton of Geek Plus. You should also check out episode 64, which was exploring the opportunities of IoT, the Internet of Things in retail. And that featured Joe Jensen of Intel. And that was a really insightful, eye-opening conversation there, really looking at what is possible with today's technology. And the final episode I wanted to highlight to you was episode 72, featuring Lee Woodard, which was about being digital versus doing digital. And that's a very important episode to listen to if you are in the retail technology space, because it's really about understanding what it is that you are doing, not just doing it, so to speak. So do go and check that out. So that was episode 92 for automating your warehouses, 64 for the IoT in retail, and 72 for being digital versus doing digital. Do go and check them out. I'd love to hear what you think. As always, you can get in touch, oliver.banks at obandco.uk. And hey, remember to check out the show notes, particularly if you want to find Michael's contact info. They are at obandco.uk slash 99. If you're new to this show, then do make sure you hit subscribe because the next episode is episode 100. It's a big milestone and I don't want you to miss out because I think you're going to enjoy it. So do remember to tune back in next time and I look forward to joining you then. Bye for now. 